you are going to turn to Ephesians today, it's right back here, way in the back. Um, it's the 10th book of the New Testament, so it's in the very back section of your Bible, or if you're scrolling, I can't help you, just hit the click the button. Um, and we've been following this series, The Story of God, which we started before creation and talked about who God is and who is the God who really created all things. And then we moved from who is the God who created all things to following the creation of all things. How he created the world, he created human, human, or mankind, he created uh, Adam, Eve, and then how uh, sin entered the world through their choice to be in charge rather than to love and serve the Lord. Um, at that moment, though, God promised Eve... That from that moment, he would write what they had wronged. He would provide a redeemer, um, a child that would come from her. And so we've been looking for that child through all of Scripture. And we followed down. We haven't read every word, but we've looked through a lot for uh, well over a year and a half now of moving through the Bible chronologically to find this uh, in, in anticipation of this child that God promised to Eve. And... And then some months ago, we came to the New Testament, and Jesus is there, and Jesus is that child. And then we followed the life of Jesus, and then Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, and then his uh, empowering and entrusting the responsibility to his disciples and saying, "Grow, you know, plant my church, grow churches, and acts we've gone through has been the story of all of those churches growing. So that's brought us to where we are today in Ephesians. You may think, well, we jumped a bunch. Well, we've jumped a lot. But remember, let me back you up and remind you, the Bible is not chronological. It's a library. So like any other library, it's categorized. It's also, for the record, a miracle. So never never take for granted that this thing is a miracle, and I mean that. 66 books written by 40 different authors across 1,600 years of time. Just think about that for a minute. 1,600 years of time, 40 different, not one, 40 different authors all claim to see the same person, the same God, to know the same God. You have... Three different languages on three different continents. It's mind-blowing, yet they all know that they all claim to know the same God. It's the highest-selling book of all time. It's out of count. Nobody knows how many have been printed and sold. And it's been in more than 2,300 languages now. I'm telling you, it's a miracle. All right? But it's a library. It's a collection of books, so some people are like, well, I get lost in it. Well, that's because you're trying to read it like a book. It's a library, so you have to kind of sort it out. It can be read chronologically, like we've been going through it chronologically, but you have to remember that it's, it's categorized. So keep your hand in Ephesians, but turn right back to the very front. Go to your contents really fast. This matters. I'm not just randomly giving you a Bible lesson. Uh, go to your contents really fast. And it's just a quick way to look at it. Your Bible's divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament, right? So those 66 books are divided. Um, 39 of them are the Old Testament and 27 are the New. But again, they cover 1,600 years of time from that first book to that last book in the compilation of them. You know what I'm saying? So in the Old Testament, though, it's categorized. I'm not going to break it all down, but there's law and history books in there. 
There's the introduction to what we call the Old Covenant. That's what covenant, testament means covenant in Latin. So the Old Covenant or the promise that God gave to Moses, um, that is in there. Um, there's prophets categorized in there. There's poetry. There's proverbs. There's music. All of that's categorized into that Old Testament. All right? When you come to the New Testament... It's the same thing. It's categorized. The first four books are Gospels. Um, that's the story of Jesus. And it's the introduction to a new covenant. So you have the old covenant, Old Testament, the promise with God through Moses. Now you have the new covenant, which New Testament, which is the promise of God through Christ. All right. That's in those first four books there. And then the next book is Acts. And in Acts, you begin this. It's a history book. So it's telling the history of Jesus a little bit. He's in the very beginning of it. Uh, the history of Jesus, his disciples, and then the growth and spread of his church. So we moved through Acts already from front to back because it's story, story, story. The rest of the New Testament, except for the last book, Revelation, the rest of the New Testament's all letters. Or epistles is the fancy word, but letters. Uh, the reason I'm pointing that out is because most of those letters have been written during Acts, the time period that Acts records. So my point is, we've already covered a lot of these letters in following the story of God. So we're not going to try to walk through every little letter. In fact, we're going to summarize them all today. So we're going to kind of look at one in particular, and my favorite chunk of the Bible, really, and that's Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a letter Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. We've already looked in Acts at Paul in Ephesus and when he started the church and all. So this is a letter he wrote back to them. So that's where we're landing today to kind of summarize all of these letters that are in there. Most of those letters in your New Testament are written by Paul, uh, 13 of them. Some say 14 because nobody's sure about Hebrews, but most people credit Paul for it. I don't think Paul wrote it, uh, but that's a side, side note. But either way... Hebrews we're not sure about. Obviously, Peter wrote Peter. Obviously, John wrote John. Jude, James, they both wrote theirs. Uh, And Paul wrote all the rest. And then, as I said, Revelation, and we'll come to it. So we've moved the story along. We've come through the story of God all the way to Acts. We've looked at the planting of these churches. And now here's all these letters. Um, We're going to look at one really quick. And then next week, we'll go to Revelation. We'll jump to Revelation because the Revelation carries the story forward um, for them and for us, okay? We're not going to go through all of Revelation, <laughs> but we will skim through, you know, the story of God in it. So, what makes grace amazing? That's where we are today. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. What makes grace amazing? John Newton, you may know the story, but John Newton was an English slave trader. And in the 1700s, he was sailing along the coast of Africa, scooping up slaves, and he encountered a very severe storm uh, that would should have destroyed the boat. But for 11 days consecutively around the clock, uh, 11 hours, I'm sorry, around the clock, he uh, fought this storm trying to keep the ship from sinking and going down. And he prayed during that time, and he begged God for mercy. And when he had survived the storm... He realized two things. One, how awful a person he was, and yet God had mercy on him anyway. 
And, and he was so struck by that that he wrestled with understanding how God could have mercy on such a horrible person. But he, but he changed his life. He quit slave trading. In fact, he did just the opposite. He started to, to take a, uh, a forward step in abolishing slavery, ultimately uh, became a ordained minister. And for years, that was his life. He couldn't ever get over the shock that God loved him despite what he'd done with so much of his life. At the age of 47, he wrote a hymn that for 250 years has been heard in churches and funerals. Uh, It's sung during sporting events, at military parades. It's been made famous by celebrities, by choirs by orchestras, by bagpipes. What's probably most shocking is that believers and unbelievers use this song. People who have no faith in God would still want this song played uh, at certain events. And at the end of his life, Newton's mind started kind of going. Maybe Alzheimer's at the time, who knows what it was called, but his brain started kind of going as he was approaching death and he said i may not remember all things but two things i remembered i'm quoting him i am a great sinner and christ is a great savior and the song he wrote is amazing grace first line amazing grace how sweet to sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost but now i'm found was blind but now i see most people know this song at least that line what makes grace so amazing So here's your one line to think about, your road sign as we walk through this. Until you feel the weight of your sin, you'll never appreciate the amazingness of God's grace. Until you, listen, I'm telling you, until you feel the weight of your sin, you will never appreciate how amazing God's grace is. And that's right where Paul begins this chapter. And he's going to show... Our past, our present, and our future. Who we, if you're a believer in this room, if your faith is in Christ, Paul is going to tell you who you were before God's grace. Who you are because of His grace, your identity in Christ, and who you'll be because of the power of His grace. Those things are all in here. So look at verse 1. Uh, I'll read a piece, and then we'll pull it apart really quick. He says, and you, that's a plural word, you. So he's talking to the church in Ephesus that he wrote. This is a letter. Remember, just like you'd write a letter and mail it, that's literally what he did. Wrote a letter and had it delivered. You, church, those reading this letter, were dead, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's a reference to Satan, I'll come to it in a minute, the spirit that is now at work, In the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Paul saying, me, all of us. We all once lived, walked, following, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That doesn't mean that we love to fight. Children of wrath means that we were under God's wrath. That we were children under the wrath of God. It all starts right here. If you see sin as just moral failure, it's just a sickness that you need to get over, I'll do better. 
I'm not that bad, so I messed up once or twice. It's not that big a deal. If you see sin that way, you'll never understand grace. You will never understand it. But if you see that you sin because you are a sinner, because it's who I am, and you realize that I'm sin- I-, I-, I do these things not because they don't make me bad. I'm bad, and that's why I do them. I'm not trying to be hateful. I'm saying that's where Paul's starting. And if you realize that the fact is because of that, you're dead. Not sick. Dead. You know, the Greek word for dead here is really fascinating. You know what it means? Dead. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It means dead. There's no play on words. There's no twist here. It is impossible for dead things to save themselves. It is impossible for dead things to even choose to save themselves. In order for you to even make a choice in the whole matter, you have to get life from somewhere first. Dead things do only one thing, and that's rot. And that's because of what's happening to them anyway. They're not even doing that. Dead. God promised death to Adam and Eve. We looked at this way back. Guys, if you choose for yourself to do what's most important to you and you want to not follow me, fine. You'll die. Death enters your world. Your option. They chose that. We're good with that. And God cannot therefore say, okay, okay, you called my bluff. I don't, I don't really want death to happen. God can't say, okay, look, I know I said death is going to happen, but, but let's sit down and let's talk about this. Let me give you a few options to choose from. Y'all pick what you think is going to work for you because it makes him a liar. Any option other than the day you eat that, you will die. You ate it, you die. Any other option than that, God's a liar. If that happened then God's a liar if he doesn't honor his word and death enters, period. No matter how much charity God has, no matter how much goodwill God has, no matter how good God is, it doesn't make any difference. Death is the only answer unless he is a liar and he's not a liar. Only the cross has the answer. Only the grave that's empty. The resurrection has the answer. That's the only way. And he owed, here's the shocker now, he owed us neither. He didn't owe Adam and Eve anything. He didn't owe, he didn't owe you anything. He didn't owe anybody anything. But at unimaginable cost, he offered both. Un, I can't even put my brain around it, cost, and he offered us both. It says your trespasses and sins here. Are they not the same thing? Well, yes and no. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is uh, an archery term. That means here's the bullseye, you missed it. Sin is missing the mark. Trespass is when you post a sign that says no trespassing. Well, uh, if you see a sign, what he's saying is we see the sign and we climb right over it. In other words, you know it's wrong and you're doing it anyway. 
You know it's wrong. So not only is it sin in us, but he's saying also we know it's wrong and we do it anyway. We jump right over. He says that we're carrying out the desires of our flesh. Basically, what that means is that they had a word for that in the 60s and the 70s, really. We still use it today, maybe some. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. That's what it means. Judge for yourself what's right. Adam and Eve, hey, it looks good. Eat it. If it feels good, do it. We've been doing that ever since they did it. Judging for ourselves. Hey, I, I say, you might say it's wrong, but I say it's right. It feels good. What's best for you? It, it says the body and the mind. The body says it feels good, so I'm going to do it. The mind says, what could possibly be wrong with it? So I'm going to have it. It makes sense. It says that we were following the prince of the power of the air. The prince there is a term used for angels who rule in a way in the Bible. You can go look in Daniel and other places. He talks about these angels that rule and govern uh, certain uh, nations, and he calls them princes. So this one, though, is the prince, not a prince, the prince. So this is a specific angel. A specific ruling angel. Remember, Ephesians 6.12, I'm not going back there. He already said, we, we don't fight with flesh and blood. We fight with rulers and principalities and powers in heavenly places. So he, he's literally pointing out that this is the prince. Jesus called him the ruler of this world multiple times. John called him the evil one who controls the world. Paul calls him the god of this world in other places. He says, this person is the prince of the power of the air. The air is what encircles the earth, obviously. So when he's talking about his power there, power is the word authority. And the point here is that this is the one spirit who has authority over the earth, not the universe, but the air and everything under it. He has the power over the earth. He's the rule. He has authority over the earth. He gained that because Adam and Eve chose to follow his suggestions instead of God's. And he's had it ever since. Uh, until Christ took it back at the death and resurrection. When Christ rose from the dead and defeated death, he took that authority back. Now, you may say, well, well then how can he still be the ruler? Well, Christ has not come to establish that yet. He has it. But he hasn't returned here to establish it because he has a church that's displaying that right now. And thank goodness he didn't because if he had done it, it would have been 2,000 years before I lived. And I'm grateful to be alive and have that hope. He says it's now that this is now at work, the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he says we all we all were. We all were this. So is, people, is, is Paul calling us all devil worshipers? Is that what he's saying? Like we all follow this guy. Are we all devil worshipers? No, he's not saying that, obviously. But what he is saying is, apart from Christ, we all have the same destiny because of sin. We're going the same place he is. He is not in charge of hell. He is ultimately to be a prisoner there. And what Paul is saying is that sin's put him there. Sin is going to put all of us there. All of us. Luther called it, Martin Luther called it the bondage of the will. What he means by that is that your will 
will always choose what's best for you. You are free to choose whatever you want, but you will always choose what's best for you. That sounds like a good thing, right? But that's what, if it feels good, do it means. And, and here's the problem with that. What's the one thing Jesus calls you to do first? Deny what? Yourself. Deny your will. Then number two, what's the next thing he says? Deny yourself and do what? Take up your cross. That means die. No, your own will is never going to choose that. Never. That will never be what's best for you in your brain. It's not going to happen. But that's what has to happen. Look what he says, though, in chapter 2. Let's finish, let's finish through here really quick. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He did. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, when you are with and in Christ, The love and power of God is at work in you. That's what it means to be made alive. That's what it means to be made alive. Blind eyes now see. I couldn't see, but now I see. Deaf ears, I couldn't hear, but now I hear. Like hearts that are hard suddenly become soft. Cold souls warm. Hard people start to care. Like things change. But that cannot happen unless God acts. acts. Um, H.I. Ironside said this. He said, you cannot live a life for God until you receive life from God. Cannot live a life for God until you receive life from God. He's got to act first. And that's what he did. But God, even when we were dead. You see what he said too? He said, we're united with Christ in his death, we're united with Christ in his resurrection, and we're united with Christ in his present position, which is in heaven, seated. That's your identity. That's what it means. If you call yourself a Christian and you are one because you put your faith in Jesus, that's what that means. That's your that's who you are. You are in him and he's in you. And you're seated there already. That's the theme of almost all of Paul's letters. Grace, to be seated with him, to be in him and him to be in us. You may be like, oh, okay, I'm seated with him. I sure don't feel like I'm seated in heaven. I didn't this morning when I woke up. It was a rough morning just for crazy reasons. Man, I feel like you're seated with him in heaven. But it's not that you are important in heaven. It's that he is important in heaven and he is seated there and you're seated in him. Because you are in him and he's there, you are in him. That's what he's saying. And one day, we will be there with him. One day, you will be there. Your seat's guaranteed. But what he's saying when he's saying you're seated there now is you're seated there because he's there and you're in him. And when God sees his son, he sees you. When God sees you, he sees his son. He doesn't see the sinner. He doesn't see all those things. He sees his own son. 
That's why Paul said in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I love this verse. There is therefore when? Now. Right now. If your faith is in Christ, there is nobody to condemn you. Because the only person who can, we all say it, right? People got tattoos. Only God can judge me. Be careful with that one. You're right. But of all the people that you would want to judge you, why would you want it to be the one who sees everything? Like all the people that have that usually say it in some kind of proud, boastful way. But you better be careful. You're not wrong. God will judge you. But is that really the one you want to do it? But if you're in Christ, it's done. He's the one that's going to judge you, and he paid for you. So who's going to judge you? That's what he's saying. There's no condemnation. That's what it means to be seated with him in heaven. But back in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, aren't you glad that it says God is rich in mercy and grace and not streets of gold and diamond rings and... You know, platinum teeth and fancy cars, big tires and whatever else we we seem to value with money. Aren't you glad it doesn't say he's just rich? Aren't you glad it says he's rich in mercy and grace? What should that mean for us? Like how we relate to other people, how we seek wealth. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Catch the wording there. Because of his great love with which he loved us. What it's saying is he had the love first. It's already in his nature. It's not like he looked at you and go, wow, you look pretty lovable. Wow, you look pretty attractive. Wow, you don't look so bad. And decide he's just going to love you. That's, it's not like you won him over. He already had the love. It's his nature. It's who he is. And because that's his nature, he then loved us. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't make light of that verse ever. He displays how much he loves you because he gave his only son to die for you as a sinner. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world ahead of time, already did. It was already his heart for the world that he gave his only son. That whoever now believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Can't be more black and white. That's how it works. Last one with this, 1 John 4.19. Real easy. We love because he loved us first. We love him because he loved us first, not the other way around. And one thing to know, by the way, if you were walking according to the course of the world and then you've been saved, you say, man, I believe in Jesus. Man, I give my life to Jesus. I follow Jesus. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you are walking according to the course of the world, as Paul said, and you repent. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to repent. It means do a, the word literally means do a 180. So you're following the course of the world, and then you do a 180. You basically turn in your back on the world, and you, you should feel that. 
You, you should feel the weight of now instead of walking according to the world. Now you're walking contrary to the world. Now you're walking into it instead of with it. You should feel that. If you don't feel that, you might have some questions. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show, display, the immeasurable riches of his grace. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Again, in Jesus, in Christ. Nothing God's doing here is not in Jesus. His grace has been displayed from Eve all the way to Jesus. Grace after grace after grace in the Bible all the way to Jesus. And it was because he made a promise of this Messiah to come. And from Jesus to this moment that we're sitting here, he's continued to display his grace in the fact that that Messiah will return. And our hope is in that. Our hope is in that. And that's one reason why so many eyes get on Israel. They're they're a timepiece in all of this. But that immeasurable grace only carries weight to sinners. That immeasurable grace being displayed... Only carries weight to sinners. Only question is, do you realize that that's who you are? Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that nobody can boast. If I were to ask you to define grace, and I'm almost done here, but if I were to ask you to define grace, you'd probably... Have some cool little familiar phrases if you have one. Um, grace is getting what you don't deserve or, or all those kind of things. But when you really get hit by grace, you realize it's impossible to really explain. My definition for grace is why me? You know my story. Many of you do. I'm not sure my whole testimony right now, but drugs, sex, alcohol, uh, fighting, jail, gangs, the whole stinking mess of it all, which impresses nobody anymore, which is sad that the world has reached a stage where that is so common. But I don't really care about any of that. What I know is that God saved me. Why? I don't know. That's what makes grace amazing. <laughs> He loves me. Why? I don't know. I wouldn't love me. Not not like he loves me for sure. I remember sleeping on the floor uh, when I was in junior high with, I think I may, may have been 6th or 7th grade, but with some friends. I spent the night with a couple of guys that were buddies, brothers that were buddies of mine. And they had bunk beds. And so I was sleeping on the floor beside the bunk bed. And during the night at some stage, the boy on top rolled off the bed. And his whole entire body just crashed right onto my chest, knocked all the air out of me, woke me up, obviously. But I came out of sleep and couldn't inhale. You know, your lungs are like crushed and you can't breathe, which is already freaky enough. But I came out of sleep that way. So I was panicking. I mean, I woke up in a panic. I can't breathe. Like, I, I still remember it, like, thinking, is this dead? Am I dying? Did I die? Am I, am I, am, you know. And then when I started realizing what's going on, I'm trying to catch my breath. And, and listen, 
This is the kind of shock that I'm talking about when you start to see grace. When you understand that you were dead and he made you alive just because. Like he hits you in the chest like you can't catch your breath. Like you you can't feel like you can't even breathe. Like somebody drops something on top of you. But when you do catch your breath, you will never forget it. It will change everything about the way you live. You feel like, man, I'm, I'm alive. I didn't die. I'm okay. I'm alive. You, 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 it changes everything. And it's not by works. He says that grace is for those, listen to me, grace is for those who realize that only grace can save them. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Grace is for those that realize that only grace can save them who know they'll never be good enough. Jesus said, I came for sinners, not for the righteous. As if there were any righteous. The Bible is full of things that say none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short. Jesus' point was, if you think you're righteous, you don't need me. If you think think you're righteous, my beloved can't help you. Why do you want me to die for you? you? You got it all figured out. You think you're right. Blood of Christ covers sins. If you cannot admit that you're a sinner, then his blood has no use for you. Grace is not just getting what you don't deserve. It's not receiving what you do deserve. If God gave us what we earned, it's hell. That's it. Grace Saved and faith here are all things that are not our own doing, Paul said. All three of them. Grace, saved, and faith, not our own doing. Faith is the hand that accepts the promise that God's already given. Faith is like hugging. Faith is like being the orphan who hugs the father who just adopted you. Faith is a response. God's already acted in grace, and now you are putting your faith in him. By grace, you've been saved, been raised, been seated. Those are a current condition that's already happened. It's a past action with present value. It means it's already been done. You've already been raised. You've already been saved. You've already been seated. We're already, it's already done because it was accomplished at the cross. We're raised from death in Christ. We're born again, he said in John chapter 3. In Corinthians, he says we're a new creation in Christ. Listen, you can't be returned to death unless Christ does. Because you're in him. can't lose your salvation. You cannot be returned to death unless Christ is returned to death. Because you're in Christ and he's in you. You can't be, you're born again. That is a new creation. You cannot be an unnew creation. You're something that did not previously exist. That's what new means. New creation and you're sealed in him. Why do you think Paul over and over, in him, in him, with him, in him. It's, it's him. He's doing it. He does all of this. He's the one that saves and I know this brings up create, you know, questions, but here's the simple thing. Do you want to know if God's given you life? Do you want to know 
if you are one of these here that he's referring to that have been saved by faith, that have already received life from him. You want to know? It's real easy. Can you respond in faith and give your life to him? Can you respond? Romans ten thirteen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's really simple. If you believe in this, if you are seeking salvation from the Lord, all you got to do is ask. That's the easiest way to know. If you're like, no, nah, that's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Then don't be surprised. You don't, I mean, it, this is the opportunity. Last verse, verse 10, I'm done. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, in Christ, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No boasting, because any work, anything we do, was prepared beforehand by him. And we're only even able to perform it because his, we're his workmanship. And Christ is in us, in us, in him. Do you not see how mind-blowing this is that it's all at the hand of God? It's all Him. Remember where this started? Dead. And now, He has a purpose, a beautiful, amazing thing He wants to do. And Deidre's perfect for it. But Deidre's dead. But God, because the great love with which he loved Deidre, even when she's dead, he's made her alive for these works that he's prepared beforehand for her. And she puts her faith in him. And then he fills her. And then everything Deidre does, God only gets the glory for. Because the works were prepared before. And Deidre was saved from death for that purpose. That's not just about Deidre. That's about all of us. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My favorite verse, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In this life I now live, I live by faith in the one who loves and gave himself for me. That's the summary of grace. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And my goal is to keep Dave Wiley crucified and let Christ live within me. That's my job every day. I know the good works prepared beforehand, whatever they are. He knows them. He prepared them. So he'll do those. I just got to keep myself on the cross. Maybe your faith needs to be shocked by grace again. I don't know. I don't know where you're at with all that. Uh, If you're a believer in the room... Sometimes it's easy to get in a routine and we forget how shocking grace really is. What it means to be dead. What but God means to Molly. What but God means to you. Maybe you need to ask, why me? And listen, this whole thing started with a walk in the beginning. We walked according to the course of the world. The end that says we walk in the works he prepared for us. There's a change of direction that has to occur. And the gospel causes it. You guys want to stand up? We're going to do one more song. And I'm going to pray for us. But if you all stand up and... Uh,
um, just close your eyes a minute and let me let me pray. Um, not ever trying to be overly dramatic with all of that. I'm just, you know, I think it's important to be still for just a minute. I mean, we're going to sing, and, and I hope you're thinking about the words, but just to take a minute and think about the weight of what the Word says, the Bible. Not me. Let the weight of it hit you for a minute. Do you feel dead? You got it all figured out maybe? I don't know. I know in God's economy, that's where we all start. And yes, Jesus came to save sinners and and, and not the righteous. That's because he wants to give us righteousness. Can you admit you're a sinner? Can you say it? Not to me. I don't need you to confess to me. I, I can't. There's nothing I can give you. I'm talking to him. You don't got to say it out loud. I don't care how you say it, but can you tell him? Can you admit that? Can you Can you just say, I trust that this is the truth because I know I cannot do this on my own. Can you call on the name of the Lord? His name is Jesus. Can you trust him? Can you put your faith in him? If you can, tell him. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for grace. I know we talked a little long today, Lord, but I grace messes me up. I don't understand it. I can't explain how grateful I am. It's one reason why I'm in the middle of a desert trying to see a little church grow with a grandbaby a thousand miles away and whatever else. Lord, I'm not trying to win your favor. I'm trying to live my life fully devoted to you because of the favor you already gave me. Lord, I I got no bragging in any of that because I, I was dead. And I know I was dead. And you saved me. You Only you get the glory for all of this. And Lord, I pray that there would be people today that would say the same thing in their own lives. Lord, I love you and I say these things in Jesus' name.